This old-time radio program was originally aired live, long before the advent of high fidelity. As a result, you may detect an occasional surface noise or volume drop due to transmission problems so common to old radio. We hope, however, that any variance in audio quality will not take away from your pleasure in listening to this, one of the all-time favorite shows. The garbage workers who pick up my freaking trash risk their lives every day! I do not cooperate with Gestapo. I do not talk to the Nazis. Dr. Fauci, give us vaccines. Well, if you guys stay on the street, uh, and we're about to get more active, we're about to get more confrontational. All right, welcome to a special episode of Backyard Politics. I'm normally not on Tuesday night, but I do have a special guest. I am your host, John Smith. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to my channel, like and share the video, and click the reminder bell. If you want to support the show, our cash app is Backyard Politics. Uh, we can be found on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Backyard Pod AZ, Backyard Pod AZ on Twitter. We are simulcast on GoodTalkRadio.com. Our audio podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere podcasts can be found. And of course, you can listen to every episode on Say What You Will Radio.com. Plus, that's where you're going to find our amazing merchandise. You can get a Backyard Politics mug, be part of the Backyard Brigade, and you can also find our amazing sponsors. In fact, tonight's show is brought to you by the Espinoza Group, AZ Homes by Sherry.com. That's S-H-E-R-I. Uh, Sherry Espinoza is the only realtor I trust in Arizona. Whether you're buying, selling, or investing, Sherry Espinoza will make sure you're treated like a friend. Again, it's AZ Homes by Sherry, S-H-E-R-I. Dot com. Now, before we get started, I do want to give a shout out to Dave, the trucker. Keep safe, my friend. If you want to be a caller, I don't think I'll be taking calls tonight, but the number is 602-475-2000. My guest tonight is a former Maryland state police officer and special agent with the United States Drug Enforcement Agency. He has led major criminal investigations, achieving a 100% conviction rate. He is a judicially recognized expert in the United States District and State Courts. He has supervised 25 criminal investigators with successful results and trained hundreds of local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies, including the United States military. He is the founder of Forletta, a Cleveland and Pittsburgh, my old hometown, a private investigation company. His name is Larry Forletta, and he is here to, uh, to uh, discuss policing in today's America. So let me bring him on. Welcome to Backyard Politics, Larry. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Hey, John, it's uh, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, you got it. Now, before we get started with the questions about policing, Larry, I got to ask you, you're in Pittsburgh now and Cleveland. We'll leave that part out. But are you a Steelers fan? Oh, 100%. All Steelers right, good. Fan. No doubt. I was going to say, because if you weren't, I don't know how well the show was going to go. Larry. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, so. Uh, very, very cool. All right. So uh, we want to talk about policing in America and uh, people that are watching. If you have questions for Larry uh, regarding policing in America in today's America, 
uh, just put them in the uh, the chat room and I'll be sure to get to them. Uh, qualified immunity. I want to start with that. Okay. First of all, well, let me, let's start. Let's go back. Larry, tell me a little bit about yourself, what I didn't cover. I know you have a podcast. Is that correct? Yeah. My podcast is called uh, Ferletta Investigates. Um, we're, we have recorded up to our 20th episode, uh, and it mostly involves uh, law enforcement uh, stories, I guess, for people who have been involved in, you know, investigating major drug traffickers across the, the world and having, you know, different um, individuals on. And uh, so we we retired in, in uh, 2006, and I started my private investigation business, and we've been pretty fortunate. It's been I would say pretty successful. Um, and, and the one thing I'd like to point out before we even get started, yeah. you know, this week is uh, law enforcement week uh, to honor all our heroes who have uh, passed and our current law enforcement uh, officers that are very challenging uh, issues every day. Uh, you know, in, uh, in May uh, 15th and 1962, uh, President Kennedy, one of my family's favorite presidents, I should say, uh, established the Law Enforcement Memorial Day, which is on May 15th. And I uh, have been fortunate to attend uh, those uh, events in Washington, D.C. I, I don't know what it's going to be like this year uh, because of COVID and all the other issues. But over the years, it's just uh, it's phenomenal and breathtaking. That's awesome. Well, thanks for doing that. And thank you for your service as well. Thank you. In law enforcement. All right. Let's talk about qualified immunity because I did a show last night and, uh, and this topic actually came up. And for those who don't know, qualified immunity is a judicial doctrine created by the Supreme court. I believe it was in 1982, uh, that shields state actors from, uh, liability for their misconduct even when they break the law under the doctrine, government agents, including but not limited to police officers, can uh, can never be sued for violating someone's civil rights unless they violated violated, quote, clearly established law. So that's pretty interesting. Now, a lot of people are calling for the end of qualified immunity for police officers. Uh, it's funny that they haven't brought up other state uh agents, but that's, uh, they're focusing on police officers right now. Uh, I believe New York city has dropped, uh, qualified immunity as well as the state of New Mexico. There may be others. Is this a good idea or bad idea? Well, personally, I think it's a bad idea, uh, because it, it only means that the law enforcement officer who risks their lives every day, they run into fire instead of away from the fire. Um, needs to have some some type of protection for them and their family. So does that mean a law enforcement officer who risks their life every day uh, loses his responsibility to his family? So I think uh, tactics will change uh, by this. I think New York City is a disaster uh, <laughs> and one of the finest law enforcement agencies in the world, NYPD, I had the opportunity to work with them on some drug cases, working cases in New York. And that agency has been demoralized by their political leadership. And I think uh, if we stay on this level, um, 
with this qualified immunity. Now, I know uh, Senator Scott, who's a proponent of law enforcement, um, may want to change uh, the qualified immunity instead of it being on the individual versus it being on, let's say, the municipality or the, or the police department itself rather than the individual officer, which gotcha. that kind of makes some sense too as well. So I think, you know, if they, if they look at it from a reasonable fashion, the one thing about law enforcement agencies, they adjust and have adjusted since the 1950s. When you look at how far back training goes all the way up into the current trends, um, the problem is, I think, is the inconsistency with training. I, I think there has right. to be a national standard for all law enforcement agencies across the country. The problem is there's over 17,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States. Yeah, is that practical? Well, that's where the that's where the problem lies. The, the other issue is, is that you have smaller law enforcement agencies who have very limited budgets. I'm a proponent of training. As a DEA agent, we trained and trained and trained. But the federal government has money. And <laughs> when you look at some of the smaller police departments in this country, they don't have that opportunity. So I think there has to be some nexus between how to create even maybe like a national training academy. Uh, I, I've met with you know some European uh, law enforcement. I had a a German uh, police officer, he was a captain in the German National Police. And so one of the things that they do in Europe is they have it like a national training academy. So they try to uh, make training essential for all law enforcement that, you know, that do their job every day. Now, uh, a lot, I think some of the libertarian uh, folks would be concerned about that possibly leading to kind of almost a nationalized police force, right? if you will. Mm -hmm. And I, that's uh, that's scary to a lot of us because uh, we don't want our police officers answering to some national bureaucracy. You know, we're, we're mm -hmm. worried about that, right? We don't want um, the budget coming out of Washington, D.C. to fund these because now, because then you don't have local policing anymore. Now you've got right. um, almost the equivalent of... And, not to be, you know, not to go too dramatic, but equivalent right. to, you know, what we saw in the SS, right? We don't want to see that type of stuff. Well, what I'm talking about are training standards. Uh, I'm not talking about merging of police agencies by any stretch of the imagination. There's just okay. way too many. Um, I, I think um, I was, I started in local law enforcement and then I went into state law enforcement and then federal law enforcement. So I've been in all three stages of of government in law enforcement right. and each of them have unique issues. Uh, and, and particularly when you're dealing with, again, I'll go back to the smaller law enforcement agencies, you know, there could be federal grants, uh, you know, each state, uh, has their own, uh, type of training coordinators, you know, here in Pennsylvania, you know, the, the Pennsylvania state police have standards. And, and so, uh, they're developed with the local law enforcement agencies here in Pennsylvania. But again, when I say standardize, I'm talking about, you know, they all should be trained a certain way. You know, you pull a car over a certain way, you, mm -hmm. you approach a car a certain way. 
those are the things that I'm talking about. Uh, because at the end of the day, if we don't train our police proper, uh, libertarian or not, uh, you, you have to, you're going to expect to be protected by the police. And yeah, I think it wants a national police force. Yeah. Amen to that. We, we certainly don't. And it's scary to even take federal dollars, to be honest with you, because there's always strings right. attached, but, uh, you know, anyone that's ever watched live PD in a pullover, you'll notice that, you know, depending on whether it's a sheriff's department from Texas or, or Arizona or a police department from, mm -hmm. you know, South Carolina, they all do their pullovers differently. Yes. And, uh, so I, I agree there should be whatever is, uh, you know, thought to be the safest for both the police officer and the citizen, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and you can all base that off statistics over time. You can figure sure. out what what's the safest, what's the best. That should be taught. Uh, how that gets taught, how that gets rolled out across the country, um, that's that's out of my lane. You know, I just I don't know how that would work. Well, I mean, the one thing that everybody should have in law enforcement is common sense. That should be a standard, <laughs> standard training, right? Common sense, yeah, uh, and treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Uh, I, I think those set professional standards uh, just with those two simple terms. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, quick statistic: in New York City, twenty five hundred cops retired. You were talking about how bad, uh, what a great law enforcement agency it was. Uh, 2,500 cops retired last year, nearly double the number in 2019. So that's not looking good. No, it's not. And when that happens, you see what's taking place, the rise in crime, homicides are, are all-time high. You know, just uh, the other day, uh, there was a shooting in Times Square. Now, when you want to talk about hero police, a female officer grabbed a young child who was a, one of the victims who got shot in the leg, ran with the child in her arms for over a mile to get that child into an emergency room. So that's wow. what I'm talking about, the heroic efforts that are not always seen on TV, not always heard about. Uh, so there is, you know, and, and now we have a, um, a negative, uh, a negative, I, I would say, uh, issue on our law enforcement agencies across this country. I agree. And obviously that is pushed by, uh, by the media, right? No uh, it's pushed by certain yeah. politicians for sure. Yeah. It's pushed by certain political activation or act, you know, activist groups like black lives matter and Antifa. That's right. It's spread all through social media right? It's all yeah. part, it's all over Twitter. It's all over Facebook. It's all over, you name it. It's everywhere. Uh, so I agree with you. I think, you know, I was talking about this last night too. I don't think police, um, I don't think police officers that are, uh, going against your constitutional rights or violating your constitutional rights. I don't really believe that that's a major issue in America. I think it's made to look like it. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I just, yeah. I just don't. I, you know, how many officers do we have in the United States? Well, we have about uh, roughly 800,000 officers that make about 10 million arrests each year. And when you look at the statistics of the number of shootings involved, they're very low. Um, and so again, as I mentioned, it, it all comes back with training 
And I, I can tell you from the years uh, going way back when in the 50s, all the way up to the time that law enforcement training has really improved dramatically. I agree. I agree. Uh, I want to get to a quick question from uh, Mickey in Kentucky. She says, Larry, what are your thoughts about sheriffs versus local police and their training and how they uh, they're used in the community? Now, I know Pennsylvania is very different. Their sheriff's yes. department versus out here in Arizona. It's, you know, it's right. completely I, different. Right. I know. I understand. Well, yeah. the, the thing is, I mean, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Sheriffs versus local police. Um, I mean, you know, like Phoenix. Uh, has a large metropolitan police department. And then, of course, Maricopa County is a large metropolitan sheriff's department. And so they have, you know, there's different responsibilities there, obviously. Um, the uh, former sheriff, Joe Arpaio, is a uh, retired DEA agent. I don't know if a lot of people knew that. Uh, I did not know that. Yes. Uh, and he, in my view, I think he did a great job while he was the sheriff there. Um, but, uh, so I think if you standardize the training and, you know, a lot of police departments, particularly in special, uh, incidents like SWAT teams, they train together like the, maybe the Phoenix police department in America, County train together. I know in Maryland, uh, when I was with the Maryland state police, uh, we trained with other federal law enforcement agencies and local agencies and different types of uh, incidents that would take place. So uh, that way you have a greater understanding, you get to know each other and you know how to work together because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing in law enforcement in my view is working together uh, and not you know opposing each other. Right. Yeah, I agree. We we just had a conversation, uh, you know, again about this last night, and we thought, you know, it just kind of came up in conversation about how the the sheriff here in Arizona, for example, answers to no one, right? right. I uh, a friend of mine uh, from Pinal County, it's uh, Sheriff Mark Lamb. He is responsible to his voters, right, and the U.S. Constitution. There isn't a big long list of people that police officers have to answer to like, you know, like police officers do the sheriff right. deputies don't, they answer to the right. sheriff and that's it. Right. And so there's not, there's not this big, uh, you know, political game that's right. played. And that's so right. the thought was, you know, if they want to defund police and they want to do away with policing, is it even a possibility to go with more of a, uh, more of a sheriff model? But the specialties aren't there, I suppose. Well, as again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the difference. But, you know, the sheriff is really responsible to the citizens mm -hmm. that elected him, um, as opposed to maybe the police chief in Phoenix being responsible to the mayor of Phoenix and city council and civil civ civilian review boards. And, and the beat goes on. Uh, right. Because there, there's, you know, unfortunately, there is politics in law enforcement. Sadly to say, there is. Um, and so uh, with the sheriff's department, you know, they do have that authority as being elected official. Now, I can tell you in Maryland, for example, when I was a Maryland state trooper, a lot of the groups there would not recognize the Maryland state police as a oh, real man. law enforcement body. 
okay? They would only recognize the sheriff in that particular county. Um, so I would call them uh, somewhat extreme, maybe to the right that had mm -hmm. those views. Uh, but yeah, that that those things do exist. Um, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with the politics involving different types of law enforcement agencies in this country. Yeah. Yeah, it's a disaster because, you know, there's special interest groups and that the mayor has to answer to. And it's just it's just a circus. Right. And uh, it just seems like such a clean model in the sheriff's department, at least out here. It's right. different. Right. Mm -hmm. It just seems a very, very clean. And, uh, you know, he doesn't even have to answer to the president of the United States. He That's answers right. to the Constitution and the people that elected him. It just seems, I don't know, easier. You know, keep it simple, stupid, right? Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I know that's a little bit, uh, it's kind of, it would never happen. It's just kind of a what if scenario. All right. So how much of a problem is understaffing across the country right now with policing? Well, I, I think it's a big problem because obviously you're seeing a, a, a mass exodus of retirements mm -hmm. and in uh, some law enforcement officers going to other law enforcement agencies. For example, like Seattle, you know, uh, I know the governor in South Dakota offered them jobs, come to South Dakota. Um, and so there's also being offered jobs in, in Florida, come to Florida and work. And you'll see a lot of uh, the NYPD guys, I can tell you this much, you would not believe how many former NYPD guys work in the different law enforcement agencies within the state of Florida. And I've known quite a few of them over the years. Wow. So you're, you're going to see that happen. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, who suffers from the loss of protection from law enforcement? It's really the communities that suffer. Right. And the poorest communities, I should say, suffer because they don't have gates and private security protecting them every day. And so the criminal element knows that. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, as a Maryland State Trooper and as a DEA agent, I worked a lot of drug cases in Western Baltimore, West Baltimore. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. One of the highest crime rates in the country, highest homicide rates. Um, yeah, and that's where the rats are climbing through the cities. In the, Correct. the buildings, yeah, rats right. And you see, and, and what you saw on, on some of those political ads that were 30 years old, that's what it looked like then when I worked there. Uh, wow. That's how bad it is. Um, and so, you know, at, at the end of the day, I know that there are good people there. They do want the police there. They don't want to defund the police. Um, and so you have a, um, a radicalization of certain groups in this country that want to do that. But at the end of the day, they live in the pearly gates. They don't live where some of the poorer communities are and the crime issues that they have. These criminals know that if the police don't respond, they run that community. They run that neighborhood. And yeah, that's and that's a lot like Chicago. Life. Yes. A lot like Chicago because it was the mayor. Uh, I, I forget his name off the top of my head, uh, but he was uh, he was under the Obama administration and then became the mayor of Chicago. Right, and he's the first one. Uh, Rahm Emanuel he pulled right. all the police 
out of the inner city Chicago. And uh, since then, it's been the murder capital of the country. Sure. Give me 30 seconds to talk about the Espinoza Group, a group within the real estate firm in Gilbert, Arizona. Sherry says what many agents don't take into account is that it's not just the house itself that dictates how we go about marketing and selling it. That's why in my career in real estate for over 20 years, I've developed systems, processes, and resources specific to each different situation you might be in. Visit their website at www.azhomesbysherry.com. That's azhomesbysherry, S-H-E-R-I.com. Or you can visit their office at 1521 East Elliott Road, Suite Number 104, Gilbert, Arizona, 85234. Experience the difference. What makes Ranger Rob Poopy Bags so special? It's the love for dogs in our environment. We designed a dog waste bag that is deeper and wider for easy pet waste disposal. Ranger Rob Poopy Bags are designed with handles to make it easy to manage and tie off for disposal. And they're lemon scented. Get the best bag for your best friend. Available on Amazon or RangerRobPoopyBags.com. Well, you know, it's funny when you look at politics, and in, in a lot of these are, you want to call them Democrat-run cities, but I can tell you, uh, Chicago was run by Mayor Daley and his son, law and order people. Uh, my cousin was a Chicago police officer back in those days, and they believed in law and order. In Baltimore, when William Donald Schaefer, Democrat mayor, was law and order. So I, I think what's happening is, um, in, in some sense, one party may have lost that step of maybe supporting law enforcement. But I would only say the extreme elements of that particular political party. I agree. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think they did a poll recently where they they did um, they polled inner city uh, people of color and about 75 to 80% of the people actually do not want the police defunded. They don't want, they want more police officers because they live in a war zone yeah. and people, they just don't understand it. They, you know, these, like you said, the people that are living in these nice suburbs up in these gated right. communities, they're the ones that are pushing this nonsense. Sure. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think you need to listen to the people. I think you well, need to. Yeah, and I saw it firsthand. So there's no guessing and no media report that's ever going to change my mind as to what took place or has taken place in these communities. Uh, when you're there on a regular basis and you see uh, the unfortunate situations that some people are put in, mm -hmm. uh, you begin to wonder, you know, is there uh, more to this than, than what we all realize? Right. And that, that's a, that's a good question. It kind of leads to my next question. And that is who's going to replace the local police departments once they are defunded and done away with, uh, you know, if the numbers of officers continues to decline, right. Who's going to keep the law and order. Who's go, who, who's going to fill that void. That void will be filled. Who's going to fill it. Well, I think potentially vigilantes can, uh, or, if you want to call them neighborhood watch groups uh, <laughs> that have weapons uh, who have no training 
who have really no sense of law and order, uh, those are the people that are going to probably take over. Uh, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't believe that it will. I believe at the end of the day that our country, uh, no matter what neighborhood you're from, will always support law enforcement and will always support law and order. Man, I hope so. You're definitely more optimistic than I am. <laughs> well, I lived it. I see it. Yeah. Uh, I understand it very well. Uh, but politics come and go. And you see what happened in, in Minnesota, for example. You know, they wanted to defund the police there. And all of a sudden, their crime went up. And they're calling for other law enforcement agencies to come in and help them. What's yeah. that tell you? So well, that's my fear. Uh, and, right. and that's kind of where I was going, Larry. And, and mm -hmm. Mickey, uh, you know, she kind of... Uh, kind of beat me to the punch here, but a lot of people are concerned that the void would be filled by federally funded police officers. And that's really the goal of the fringe left. Is, is that crazy talk? I don't, I, I think it is. I, I don't think there's a place for federal law enforcement uh, in the type of investigations that we're involved in, like DEA, like FBI, like the ATF, ICE and Border Patrol and so on. I think we have our own uh, niches and responsibilities. Um, I don't see a nationalized police force. Uh, and I don't believe, at least in my mind, that that would, would take place in this country. I mean, most politics, as you know, are local, local mm -hmm. politics. And the locals really control uh, the government issues in that community. And so, you know, there would have to be, uh, you know, something that that I don't think we'd ever see in this country, at least I hope not, uh, right. any kind of uh, political or military takeover or anything like that. I'll, I'll just give you an example, and, and this is what uh, scares some of us out here in the West, okay? Uh, Arizona, for example, has passed a law, and it was signed uh, by our governor, that uh, we will not fund any type of Second Amendment uh, laws that come out of Washington uh, moving forward, anything that is unconstitutional, deemed unconstitutional against both the federal, the United States Constitution, as well as right. the Arizona Constitution, right? Mm -hmm. So the way they do that is they just won't put any state dollars because the federal government passes these laws or, you know, these executive orders, and they expect the states to um, to police those law right those laws and those executive orders uh so in arizona you can't do it you cannot put a single dime towards enforcing any of these second amendment laws so uh my question then is i, I just get a little you know i get a little concerned because i can see someone like the biden administration uh actually bringing in federal police to enforce those laws because arizona refuses to do it well, I, I don't know. That could be a little bit of, bit of a stretch. Um, you know, there are guidelines and, and policies and procedures that have been in place a long time. I think uh, President Biden understands it probably more than a lot of people. Uh, not that I agree with everything he does, but I can say that uh, he, he understands the system. He's been there a long time. You know, we have a Department of Justice, uh, but, you know, my concerns now, even with the Department of Justice, is becoming political in, in a lot of sense. Very um, much. And I'm very concerned about that. 
I knew when I worked under Department of Justice, it didn't matter whether you're a Democratic or Republican, you got arrested, period. Uh, if you broke the law, that's the way it worked. You mm-hmm. went to federal prison. And I know a lot of um, law enforcement agencies always looked to federal law enforcement to assist them with their problems in their community, such as violent crime, you know, drug trafficking, you know, those types of issues, uh, the border issues with illegal immigrants coming over. So I think there there's always has been a role for federal law enforcement. I don't see a nationalized police force coming. I still believe uh, in our Department of Justice, although I have some issues uh, <laughs> and concerns for sure, yeah. um, as well as a lot of my, you know, my counterparts and, and a lot of the DEA retired guys that we talk all the time about some of these issues that are taking place. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you see, when you see Hunter Biden and I don't mean to, you know, I don't want to go crazy or anything, but Hunter Biden clearly violated uh, a federal law by lying on a, you know, an application for a firearm and then uh, had someone dispose of that firearm in a trash can next to a school. And he's not been arrested. You know, before we, we were a nation of laws. We were, we were quickly turning into a nation of, of men. Right. And uh, so we just see that we see the the Justice Department here in Arizona trying to get involved in the uh, audit that's going on, the election audit that's taken place. Right. There, we see the overstepping of the federal government into Arizona a lot. And so it's just a concern. It's, it's a concern that we have. Uh, maybe maybe it is far fetched, but uh, I would rather be far fetched than wrong. Yeah, I mean, you have a good point. Um, but, you know, when we talk about law enforcement issues versus political issues, um, sometimes I try to separate the two. And that's sometimes, fair. I get it. And, yeah. and sometimes it's hard, but I, I try to uh, use my judgment based on reasonable uh, expectations. Um, and I try to stay away from intertwining or inter- intermingling politics as best as you can. Right. Um, but you do see some injustices. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You, you look and say, well, Hey, if that was me and I did that and I falsified a federal form, I'd be in federal prison. And I would say, yeah, you're probably right. Um, yeah. If so, I got together with a couple buddies, you know, and wore my, you know, our, our Harley jackets and rode our bikes down and blocked a major intersection in Texas, I guarantee you, yeah. Larry, we would be, we would be uh, arrested and in jail. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you look what happened, uh, this past summer when our cities were being looted, burned and destroyed and, uh, the rule of law just broke down and, uh, we can't, we, we can't have that. We cannot tolerate that kind of behavior. Uh, I, I know the governor DeSantis and Florida has really come out with some real tough laws. I think Texas is following them and I'm sure, a lot of other states will will follow the, their leads, but we cannot have that type of destruction. And, and you know, what's really funny about it, when you look at it, like Minnesota, for example, you know, a lot of the business were minority-owned businesses that were burned and, and destroyed. Right. And, and I can tell you, in 1979, when I was on the Maryland State Police tactical team, uh, we responded to a variety of 
riots, coal miner strikes, you know, issues uh, that were very serious in nature. And we, we backed up uh, the Baltimore City Police Department. And it was a major snowstorm that came through, 30-some inches of snow. Uh, there was no SUVs back then. Uh, you know, the police cars were stuck. They couldn't respond. Uh, the Gay Stream Mall, uh, which was mostly a minority-owned business district, was looted. I mean, the criminals come on the street and just took advantage of the situation. But I can tell you that the politicians, uh, even though, you know, if, you know, they were Democrats, whatever you want to say, but they believed in law and order. They supported uh, the way we uh, quelled the disturbance. And we actually quelled it within two days uh, because we had that political support. And the state's attorney's office, I remember Bill Swisher well, another law and order guy. And now when you look back at Baltimore and the Freddie Gray case uh, and those five police officers, uh, you know, the, were accused of the most heinous crimes around only right. to be acquitted. So, you know, we have a process in place, uh, a due process in place, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, that should, should apply to everybody, including our police officers. They should have their day in court like everybody else does. Agreed. Agreed. Why do you think it is so many politicians are jumping on the defund the police bandwagon? Is it it's merely for votes or what? Oh, it, it probably is. Um, you know, it's amazing when they say defund the police, these same politicians have uh, security details. <laughs> right. And we'll go, we'll go with, you know, back to New York. Um, the mayor there has a contingents of NYPD security teams. Well, you know, and then you can go back to gun control issues and, and things of that nature, you know. And uh, when politicians begin to talk like that, well, they're protected. You and I aren't. And uh, so, you know, when they're saying defund the police, they should defund their security detail. And I guarantee you that they won't do that. It would never happen. Right. Neither will the people, the the actors in Hollywood. <laughs> no, nobody's going to give up their uh, their privately paid security to protect them, you know, no. except for the uh, common folks in this country that have to worry about those types of issues. Exactly right, and that's really the the. I mean, the gist behind policing in the first place, right? Right. Really, the police shouldn't have any uh, any powers above the regular citizen. They're just paid to police, right? Because I can't stay home all day and police my neighborhood. I have to go out and work. You know, right. back in the day, yeah. you had to go and tend the fields. You had to run the farm, and you had to have somebody in town protecting the citizens, right? Isn't that or protecting the city or whatever, uh, you know, and uh, so that's why policing was created, but they weren't supposed to have any uh, rights or anything above and beyond the average normal citizen. Am I wrong on that? Well, I, I, I guess you're right to a certain extent, um, but the police um, are given special authority under the laws and the constitution of this country and they're to obey those laws, not break those laws. Um, and so the ideal of policing was really to protect and serve the community. 
That's the whole concept of policing. Right. And that's what we do. You know, whether you're a DEA agent or a local police officer there, you're there to protect the community. And, and that's what I believe law enforcement is all about. And you also have to be responsible to the community. You know, you just can't arbitrarily do what you want. You get There's rules, regulations, and there's rules and regulations um, that were created by uh, issues that some law enforcement people created on themselves. Bad behavior, for example. For sure. Uh, and that's why, you know, there's so many administrative policies and procedures. I, I can tell you, uh, as a DEA agent, we had a lot of them. Uh, maybe even more so than our local and state counterparts. You know, every quarter, you know, we had to meet with our supervisor and review all the policies and procedures and had to initial every one of them. So if you misbehaved, you know, something was coming down on you. No question about it. And, and I think um, we have to maintain uh, stability on our law enforcement there's issues with law enforcement, no question about it. I've arrested corrupt police officers and put them in federal prison, but that's where they belong. They don't belong with a badge on their shirt. But um, every entity in this country, whether you're in law enforcement or politics or lawyer or an Indian chief, they're people. And so people do uh, some of the most heinous things to other people and they commit crimes. And there's corruption. So you you have to deal with them. I, I think our uh, internal systems that were created by law enforcement are good systems. You know, you have uh, an internal affairs unit. Um, ours was called the Office of Professional Responsibility. You know, these are people, all of us, and I would say over 99% of law enforcement have the integrity and the trust uh, of doing their job. There is a small percentage of bad ones. Uh, mm -hmm. There's no question about it. And those bad ones should be treated like bad ones. Because if you ask most cops, they're going to tell you they don't want them around. They don't want these type of people to be affiliated uh, with real law and order people. And that's always that issue. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with you 100%. And I know we're a little bit over time, but I got uh, one last question I want to talk to you sure. about, Larry. And, this, and thank you. So this has been a great um, bit of information here from you. So thank you for that. Um, is there a systematic racism in policing? No, I don't believe I don't believe that at all. I think it's a narrative created by the news media. I think when you look at law enforcement and the way things have changed, you can look at our cities. Let's go for our big cities, for example. Most of our big city police chiefs are African-American or a minority of color. Most of our mayors are a minority of color. Um, is there racism? Yeah, I think there is, but there's racism that affects a lot of different people. So anybody who makes those types of comments can be considered a racist. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I think overall, no, I don't agree with those political statements that, you know, law enforcement goes out and hunts a certain group of people. That's nothing but a bunch of BS, as I can tell you. 
You know, they're, they're out there risking their lives to protect people. That's what they do every day. And uh, I can't be more thankful for the career that I had in law enforcement and for all the, you know, the newbies on the job and the ones who came before us and the ones who have died. I've had friends killed in a line of duty. And uh, so it, it's a difficult profession, but to me, it's an honorable profession. Yeah, and it's probably an underpaid profession. No doubt. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, uh, you know, I think the vast majority of our law enforcement uh, folks are good, decent people. I think the vast majority, I don't know what the percentage is. No one can really put a percentage because you can't get into somebody's mind or heart, right? right. But uh, the vast majority of the folks uh, that are out there every day that are putting their life on the line for everybody, you know, it's funny. Everybody wants to defund the police until they're being robbed. And then they're pissed because the police doesn't, they don't get there quick enough. Right. Sure. Right. So, I mean, it's very hypocritical. It's, it's obvious. We see that, but I, th I really truly believe the vast majority of the uh, law enforcement officers out there are good and decent people. Uh, you know, I think they chose that career because they believe in truth and justice. And uh, are there bad ones? There's, there's bad apples in every profession. Right. Uh, okay. Even in, you know, even in the surgical room, there's, there's, you know, doctors that are cutting the wrong foot off. I mean, it happens. Yep. We've seen it. And uh, so I don't think, I don't think it's realistic to expect profession perfection. And, uh, but I, but at the same time, I think going all the way back to the beginning of the show, I think we've got to come up with standardized uh, training yep. and we've, based on what is the best result, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no doubt. Um, and the one thing that law enforcement does, they do adjust to things. Uh, they do, they will adjust to training. They will adjust to what, uh, uh, what's going to be in the new challenges for law enforcement in this century. So I, I think, uh, and you know, the, the one thing about a lot of people don't understand that law enforcement, especially in the major cities and in a lot of different places are, are data driven. And what I mean by data driven. So say, for example, you're the chief of police in Baltimore. Okay. And you have your administrative staff and you want to know what section of the city has the highest shootings. So what you have to do is then you evaluate your manpower situation, and you place those officers, additional personnel, to help try to curb some of that violence. So that's what I mean by data-driven. And, and that's kind of functionary with all the major law enforcement agencies throughout the country. Right. And simply defunding that isn't going to help that. No, we need, we need more funding. And I'd say more funding for more training is definitely going to continue to improve uh, our law enforcement efforts. Right. Gotcha. Well, is there anything else that uh, you want to share about policing in modern America? Well, I would say this, and, and I want to thank you again for having me on your show. But uh, I, I, I think that people should realize the great work that our law enforcement heroes do every day. I hope that uh, when you see 
a police officer on the street, thank them, thank them for their service. That's, that's my message. Uh, because, um, at the end of the day, we sometimes underappreciate our uh, police officers. Uh, I agree. I agree. I think I, it's easy to make the police officers, the villain, you know, in my opinion. Right. Uh, but everybody calls them when they need them. So it's, that's just a fact. Nobody, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody knows how to dial nine one one and, and uh, everybody does if they're being mugged or, or you know, uh, that type of thing. So Larry, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for being on. Um, I will shoot you the link. Well, you have the link to the show. So, right. uh, if you want a, um, you know, if you want an audio file, of the show, just let me know, but thanks for being on. You're always welcome to come back on. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll have you on and again, uh, in the future. And, uh, because I, I want to know, like what is the future of policing in America? Where is it going to go? And I guess we can only sit back and watch, right? Find out. No doubt. Uh, it just depends on the political wind and and in uh, the way that direction goes. But again, right. thank you, uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, again, uh, I appreciate uh, my career. And uh, thanks uh, for all maybe who came on to listen to uh, to speak tonight. Awesome, Larry. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for your service. Uh, God bless you. And uh, we'll we'll stay in touch. Okay. Thanks, John. All right. Take care now. All right. Well, there you go. So uh, I know you guys have a lot of comments. I want to get to the comments, uh, but it was a he was on a time crunch, and uh, I know you know I didn't want to uh, go through all the comments while uh, talking with him, but. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, Rex, I know you had a couple things to say there. Um, I, I know, I know how you feel. I, I get it. Uh, you know, but, uh, I think you can back the blue. I think you can support the police officers and, uh, still believe, uh, in the, uh, do not tread on me. Uh, I, I just think, I think the two go hand in hand, maybe more than, than we think. So Anyway, guys, uh, this was just a special edition of the show. Thanks for everybody being here. Uh, conservative Texan. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll call 911 after I defend my family. That's right. I mean, really, we are the first responders, right? The police officers in law enforcement are really the second responders. They can't be there. It maybe takes, uh, I think, an average of uh, maybe uh, five minutes or so for officers to get to somebody. Uh, in that five minutes, a lot of bad things can happen. So uh, I always promote uh, Second Amendment. The Second Amendment, I promote gun uh, use for protection. And, uh, man, get yourself trained. Get yourself a firearm that you're comfortable with. Get yourself uh, a gun that's uh, easy to easy to conceal easy to shoot something that's comfortable. Don't buy into all the hype that you got to have a certain gun, you know, go out and uh, check a bunch of different ones out and find one that works for you. But uh, yeah, defend your family. And uh, that's about it. So thanks guys. Thanks for being, uh, Oh, logic Rex says robots are the future of policing. The police robot talks. <laughs> we'll see about that. That's funny. Maybe a hundred years from now. Anyway, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, being uh, watching Backyard Politics. I'm your host, John Smith. Take care and have a good night.